This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. Good afternoon, Courtney. Oh, I think it's evening now, Hayden. <laughs> it's, uh, it's certainly getting dark earlier. It yeah. seems to be getting dark earlier. What time is it? What time? It, are we? Seven it, o'clock. Seven. We're leaving Toronto at seven o'clock, which is which is great because there's less traffic. But it's not yeah. so great because it's basically nighttime out right now. Yeah, the sun has set. Sun has set. The sun is setting on the red road. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are both inundated with media requests to talk about the federal election. Do you get a lot of requests? Um, I've gotten a medium amount of requests. Medium? Medium, a small amount of requests. Um, I feel like the, I feel like I was doing more press, honestly, before the election and more media. I feel like people who are maybe a little bit better known than I am are taking spaces that I typically occupy (laughs) and are now in those areas, you know. Interesting, interesting. In a very literal sense. Yeah, I mean, I think you see the usual suspects, like the John Sinclairs and the Pam Palmeters Mm -hmm. uh, providing that that indigenous election coverage. I mean, Mm -hmm. the requests are basically daily for me to talk about should indigenous issues be a priority this election and what should politicians be speaking about and what do you think about this platform and that platform basically every day but i think it is sort of remarkable that it's much less than five years ago and maybe that has something to do with um the media's interest in me personally or just uh the interest in indigenous issues and honestly i think it's probably the latter mm-hmm. i think I think that indigenous issues are just less of a priority this election. You feel so? I, I feel do. Like... I do. I do feel so. And, and I think what drove it the last election was the liberals making it such a high priority, and so it was. And maybe the media was not familiar to a, a, a political party saying, "Hey, uh, we're being forced to ask native people what they think about this party's platform." And now, since indigenous issues aren't really a part of the discussion. The media interest has dropped off. It's because we're not the most important relationship anymore. <laughs> We've been downgraded. Yeah. So obviously we're going to talk about the election in this podcast. Yeah. Um, apparently Trudeau's uh, most important relationship is whoever sells him his setting spray and uh, makeup for his uh, blackface. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. No, th- th- that that relationship is over. I think. Yeah. Although who knows? I mean, he did just dress up and go to India and he likes to wear headdresses. Yeah. So. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Um, mm. But Trudeau does appear to have lost some support of Indigenous people, at least if we believe this recent APTN story and and Veronica's poll about Indigenous voter intention. So I mean, let, let's get into that, but. I think we should just tell people we've we've sort of gone right into this very quickly. Oh but, yeah, we have. Um, I guess there's a lot of lot to cover, so we're going to talk about the federal election. This will be the Red Road podcast uh, election coverage, mid-election mm-hmm. coverage. Maybe there will be more, but this yeah. is where we're gonna we're gonna kick things off and uh, provide our take on the candidates that are out there, the platforms. Um, 
yeah, and see where we go. Yeah. So this conversation was sort of provoked because there was a story in APTN today uh, on a national indigenous federal election poll, which presumes to tell us how indigenous people are going to vote in this federal election, at least for those that do vote. They polled a thousand people uh, via telephone and they didn't indicate in the survey how many of those people said they weren't going to vote at all. Uh, which I guess casts some doubt on some of the results of the survey, but nonetheless, they did this survey and they found that the Liberals do no longer enjoy that uh, support among Native peoples that they did four years ago. In fact, it is down, um, well, it's down significantly, um, less than 5% of uh whoa, 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 whoa back up a second back up a second sorry one in five are planning to vote liberal one in five native people are planning to vote liberal which is apparently down from 2015 of people that are voting of indigenous people who are voting we don't know the methodology for this poll so we don't know if these are self-id folks or or what but i'm pretty sure they called my house you didn't answer yeah no my mom did a poll oh yeah mm-hmm. was she one of the 26% who now are going to vote conservative? God, no. So this is what's really troubling <laughs> about this poll. So that Justin Trudeau lost support among Native people, that is sort of obvious. It's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe the surprising thing is that 26% of the people that voted Liberal last time are going to say are saying that they were are going to vote conservative this time. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting um statistic i think it's actually demonstrating how um indigenous people do tend to have you know conservative leaning people and that there are some people that have you know anti-abortion beliefs um very strong held um christian beliefs that might necessarily see their views aligning with the conservative party Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i think that there's a general um I guess perception that conservative parties tend to lean themselves more heavily in alignment with white supremacy and so the people of color tend to vote more on the left um you know NDP etc but um that's not always the case I mean they this poll asked who would make the best prime minister and the majority said Andrew Scheer majority said Andrew Scheer so Okay, yeah, there's issues with the poll, I think, definitely. But, yeah. you know, I was listening to this, and I think you caught it as well, this segment on The Current this week, uh, and it was three Native people, and I would say two out of those three, were two, two out of the three were like, we're going to vote Conservative. Yeah. So, uh, while, I mean, I'm agreeing with you. I think that there's a Conservative um, vein and indigenous political thought you know you're a community and your only newspaper is the toronto sun or you only have access to the toronto sun there's mm-hmm. you know some anti-immigration sentiments and uh you know <laughs> some completely counterintuitive sort of pull yourself up by the bootstrap sentiment uh, among among native people but do you think that is this like is this like a conservative awakening among indigenous people um, I think that this is interesting because I think that it might be 
I mean, there's there's this shift in like settler politics as well too, right? Because like the only the only two parties that have ever formed government in Canada are the Liberals and the Conservatives. Yeah. And so they talk, you know, the discourses that like these are the two ruling parties and these are the only two people that people see as being able to um, have a prime minister from. And so people tend to vote back and forth between these two, never seriously considering the NDP. Um, never mind the fact that most like major social progress happens during minority governments when NDP holds the balance of power. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think that is a very, um, that's very interesting. But I think that that's, that's tend to, that tends to be what happens, right? If people don't see the Liberal Party's meeting their needs, then they just automatically default to the Conservatives. Right, right. But this is the interesting thing. It's like that Spider-Man meme where like Spider-Man's pointing at Spider-Man yeah. and each of these two parties will blame the other one for all the failures when they are both accountable for every policy and law that's ever been enacted in Canada. Uh -huh. um, so It's true. Although, yeah. you know, you look at the liberal record and if, if we're going to contextualize this and look at liberal governments, they are by far the greatest offenders when it comes to making promises and breaking promises. Like, you know, 1951, you had all these amazing changes. Amazing. Air quotes. Air, you, you can't see the air quotes on the podcast. Amazing changes to the Indian Act. Uh, Louis St. Laurent gets into power. He's like, oh, shit, we better change the relationship. The natives are revolting. Uh, said, we're going to promise self-determination. Then when they changed the Indian Act, they didn't. Obviously, they didn't come through with that. Uh, Pierre Trudeau, 1968-69, we're going to change the Indian Act, we're going to change relationship, just society, and then completely, pro you know, offered the opposite of what Native people asked for. Um, Jean Chrétien, same thing with the Red Book, all these fantastic promises to Native people in the election platform, then get elected, break all those promises. Paul Martin, although, you know, Indigenous issues were less of a focus for him, uh, his government, there were commitments, and then of course he implemented the two percent cap on, on, on uh, spending on indigenous issues, which resulted in an annual cut that we continue to grapple with today. And then Justin Trudeau comes in four year, four years ago and says, you know, we're going to give you a veto, declaration, blah 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 blah, uh, blah 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 blah, some more, <laughs> and uh, and breaks those promises. So you look at the history of liberal government, and it's just like really really bad record at keeping promises and then the conservative governments at least like maybe native voters if we if we if we accept that this poll is accurate are like well brian mulrooney you know basically ushered in the only thing that we can hang our hat on today which is aboriginal rights in the constitution that was a conservative government maybe we'll try that again even though we had 10 years of you know very Ten very bad years of the Harper government. I don't know. Maybe you're right, though. It's that pragmatism. And that being said, it was the NDP last year that did get the majority of the of the Indigenous vote. Um, and this poll does say that people are are now looking at the NDP again as alternatives. But that'll sort of bolster the already existing existing support. Yeah. I mean, so. <sighs> I'm trying to remember if I've ever voted in a federal election. I don't think I've ever voted in a federal election. 
Um, I spoiled my ballot one time. I was like, I'm gonna do good. I'm gonna do this principled thing and express my dissatisfaction with corrupt settler colonial elections, and I'm gonna spoil my ballot. That's gonna show them. Yeah. That's the closest I got. Yeah. So like, I'm thinking like, um, but when I think about you know when I, the performance of each of the parties over the past four years, who has done the most? I think that um, the NDP for sure has put in a much more authentic effort. You mean in their, this campaign right now? Cause well, no, I think like the track record. Like if I think of like authentic. They don't have a track record though. You don't, you don't think that like pushing and promoting Romeo Saganash's work is well, the track record of the NDP? Okay, fair enough. What the New Democrats have done in opposition uh, on the margins of, of parliament yes you're right they have advocated the hardest they have pushed the most they've introduced legislation that arguably would have gone the, the furthest if it had go, if it had been passed okay fair point yeah yeah so yeah i think that that's like the party that i have the most kind of like understanding of or not the most understanding of but like the that i would have the most confidence in based on the policy that they write and they try to pass it would be the NDP. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, I don't like understand capitalism and why people lean themselves towards capitalism. I don't understand what evidence people are pointing to when they think conservative parties are competent in any way around issues of business. <laughs> like they just seem to have a very strong brand of competency without demonstrating it. Right, so I right. like, I don't, I that's think, where I come well, from. Well, you have like a mainstream media that yeah. is conservative. Yeah. And up, you know, when the when the editorial boards of the major newspapers come around and do their usual endorsement that they do every four or two years, I think, and I don't have the actual empirical evidence here, but from recollection, I think, you know, the Globe yeah. and Mail and the National Post most definitely regularly yeah. endorse conservative uh, uh, parties to form the next government and yeah. I think that they uphold this fiction that mm -hmm. conservatives are effective money managers um, but I guess yeah so anyway that's yeah. my maybe partial explanation for why the conservatives are seen as credible not only the media but of course the business class in Canada that's have true. a vested interest in up upholding this this lie yes. so I mean well do you want to talk about uh, the platforms at all well, a little bit though but I want to also explore this idea of like the conservative leaning people that were on this like CBC panel their point was that they were like definitely pro pipeline Indians and this yeah. is a thing that I think is playing into the discourse as well is that like radical people who tend to resist colonial oppression tend to be on the left, tend to be in the margins, tend to not participate in voting. But there are obviously people that believe that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and believe this conservative rhetoric and that we should have jobs and we should have access to capital that's going to be developed through things like, you know, twinning the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And those might be the people who want to vote for the conservatives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if the conservatives yeah. get elected, I, I will bet you that there will be a class of indigenous, you know, thought leaders and intellectuals, again, more air quotes here, mm -hmm. that will be 
brought out to to hold them up. I I, I bet I think that. I think that that sentiment is there. I mean, I agree with you. I think that that sentiment's there. And if the Conservatives form a minority or a majority government, you're going to see more Conservative Indians publicly out there, um, which is remarkable, I think, to me, uh, for their lack of critical thought, I guess. Um, so right now, I think the last poll that I saw indicated that the Liberals and the Conservatives share an equal chance of forming government. You, on like an episode like six months ago, predicted a Liberal minority. Do you still stand by that prediction? Uh, it's so it's so difficult. I mean, I think this year, <laughs> this election, you have the Bloc, which is probably going to be reinvigorated in Quebec. Uh, take seats away from the New Democrats and probably the Liberals. You have the Green Party, which seems to be potentially spoiling a few seats for for the Liberals and NDP. You have uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. I think Jody Wilson-Raybould has a good shot, but Jane Philpott maybe not. So you have all these sort of um, non-official or non-orthodox parties that that could really play an interesting role in this election but i think yeah we still have a couple weeks until the election i'll, I'll stand firm at this point in time with my prediction for liberal minority yeah mm-hmm. even though their platform is shit yes so we have started out this podcast talking about the conservatives and there's nothing really to say about the conservative platform because they haven't released it um, will they have released it by the time we put this episode out? No. no. Um, but what can you expect in a conservative platform? You can expect focus on economic development and hard services, right? Like clean yeah. water, drink, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They are not going to touch human rights. <laughs> they are not going to touch women's rights. And this is the thing that, like, came up. I guess I do some media, right? I guess I do Sunday Scrum sometime. This came up when we were talking a little bit about Andrew Shear and his stance on abortion. Is that, like, I'm at the point of, like, my radical feminist existence that, like, I do not care for this media line of discourse that continually says, like, are you going to open up the abortion debate? Like, you should, could someone please ask this party how they are going to increase access to abortion? Like, there are so, there are a myriad of ways that even if they don't introduce legislation, that they could obstruct people, people's rights to abortion and reproductive health care. Um, I want to see some co- sort of commitment from this party to say, like, hey, we're not. Not only are we not going to infringe on people's constitutional rights, but we want to see an increase in access. And I say this as like a person who comes from a culture that does not uh, necessarily align with abortion or having abortion, but that the fact that like, co- reproductive coercion is one form of intimate partner violence and safe confidential access to abortion is a critical part of ending violence and i feel like this is lending itself to that you know the conservative lean that you see in indigenous communities where people don't have frank and honest conversations about abortion access mm-hmm. especially in, in remote communities especially if you know um i believe that you can get the abortion pill now without having to get an ultrasound and that makes it more accessible for rural and remote communities but 
this is kind of like the linkages that are being missed between the practical realities of people in communities and how the beliefs of federal leaders impact people's lives and how it impacts policy or how policy impacts people's lives. Yeah, no, though the, the discussions so far around indigenous issues in this election are not getting that deep. I mean, the exact opposite yeah. of that. So the conservatives haven't released their platform, so we can guess at what they're going to promise. But again, I will make another bet that there is no nothing of that specificity. And the liberals, I mean, their election platform couldn't be vaguer if they hadn't even elect, uh, published a platform on Indigenous issues. Like, Did they actually uh, publish a platform? Well, they did publish a platform, but it is very, it's like... Okay, one of their commitments is um, building a better future with Indigenous people. So they're going to focus on hard services, focus on economic development. Interesting that, you know, that's likely what we'll hear from the Conservatives as, as well. They're going to quote-unquote continue on the path to reconciliation and support First Nations, support Métis, and support Inuit. And, and, that's, and that's basically it. Like, these are just these these very general platitudes and obviously they're expecting people to vote on they think they've done a really good job over the over the past four years so they're just going to expect people to vote that they're going to continue that work but the the platforms are really really vague trudeau did mention an overhaul overhaul of indigenous health care which could address some of the issues that you're talking about and potentially via legislation and you know there's co-management this and reconciliation that and closing the gap uh and, and so on but it is remarkably thin on on details the liberal campaign or the liberal platform as well anyway um have you heard anything about from liberals from the liberals from yeah. like the party no yeah the only party that has actually like reached out to me is the ndp well, I just mean, have you heard anything about the Liberals' oh. like commitments or, or no. campaign promises or no. investments in Indigenous communities or anything like that? No, but here's my wild dream of like... For the Liberals? No, for like if the Liberals form government. Okay. So the Liberals form government, one of the things that's like, I guess, um, that people don't necessarily, I think, might have an understanding of is that even if the same party is elected to another term in their like consecutive terms they still form a new government. And so the bureaucracy has this opportunity and like they don't necessarily carry over anything. So it's up to communities to kind of advocate, but this new government that's formed, they have a right to kind of reset and reestablish a lot of things. And they don't necessarily, they, they wouldn't necessarily carry over any type of policy and definitely don't carry over any like laws that are currently being well, done. No, they have right. to like reintroduce stuff. And they will if it's like a priority. I mean, if it's a it's, law, they've got to implement it. They've, well, they've yeah, but like if it's something that's not passed, or yeah. like not enacted. Like There's the unripped um, legislation didn't make it out of the Senate, yeah. so it's dead. So yeah, the stuff that dies, like they don't have to, they might not reintroduce that. It's an opportunity no, for no. them to do that. And so what I really hope is that like, if the liberals get reelected and they do this whole thing, that they redefine what their relationship is with the NIOs, with the National Indigenous Organizations, that they take this opportunity to kind of say like, hey, we're a new government and we're going to change 
some of these relationships, right? There or is reshape them. zero chance I of that. No, that's why I prefaced it as saying it's a wild there dream. There is zero. You know what? One of the. <laughs> you know what we really need to do is sit down and look at the Liberal Party's success at dividing Indigenous communities, because that has been their. That's been their success. You know, they they promote this distinctions-based approach to government, and it, or rather, distinctions-based approach to. Uh, reconciliation air quotes but what that distinction based approach does it's like okay we're gonna deal with the Métis and MNC we're gonna deal with the Inuit and ITK we're gonna deal with First Nations and AFN um, but they 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 support Congress of Aboriginal people um, and this distinctions based approach has been you know in theory that makes a lot of sense we're gonna create distinct policy for distinct general groups but in practice what that's resulted in is pitting these groups against one another Whereas the Métis are really interested in a certain self-government policy and the Liberals use that endorsement against First Nations to push that self-government policy. Like that's a really effective strategy that they've deployed and Indigenous people have bought into it to a degree. And it's the same thing with their uh, negotiation tables. Once they create it on a community to community basis, all these communities are like, this is great, we're getting, we're getting attention of the minister and the department and we're having these one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversations and dialogues, but that's happening in confidence, so nobody knows what's happening across the country, and in this way the Liberals are picking off communities, again, to push certain policies on other communities. And I think that as far as containing and managing Indigenous people, the Liberals have done a really good job at that. And so the NIOs are key to the strategy, mm -hmm. you know? That's what I think anyway. Yeah. And so I think we'll see more of that. We're not going to see we're not going to we're not going to yeah. see the liberals say, "Hey, these, you know, uh, puppet might be too aggressive of a term, <laughs> but we're not we're not going to use these useful organizations to us. We're not going to yeah. we're not going to blow up that relationship." Yeah. But you can dream. I'm dreaming. <laughs> I definitely know that. So Conservative and liberal platforms, are we grading things? F. <laughs> they all get Fs. So, the New Democrats, uh, like you, I would say I am most impressed with the, the New Democrats. I very much appreciate what Jagmeet Singh has to say so far on the campaign trail. I think that, that there are obvious um, generalities and platitudes here as well, but you look at their platform and there's a whole suite of interesting commitments. And some of them are actually commitments that the Liberals have already made, like Arctic policy framework and investing in the Guardians program and clean water on reserve. And I guess these are sort of obvious, but you have their, the only party that's talking about child welfare discrimination and, and addressing that. Uh, the only party that's talking about housing, um, they're talking about honoring indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people. Um, they're talking about justice. And that's not really made it into the mainstream discourse around the, the campaign, but it is interesting to see these unique issues, or relatively unique, on in their party platforms. And then the NDP also have, you know, anti-racist policies. Like they're gonna ban all carding, which they don't say is explicitly part of their indigenous platform, but it's going to benefit indigenous people. So that's something positive as well. 
they get a C plus. <laughs> C plus. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's also just this level of sympathy that you have for the new Democrats because, like, you know, their leader is out there dealing with ra dealing with racist attacks every day. Yeah. And it's like, wow, the you know the white supremacy that you mentioned earlier is just yeah. like in full view in this election. I think this is one of the things that really stuck out to me and I think that we should talk about is that one of the things that has gotten into this kind of pro-pipeline Indian conservatism is buying into white supremacist rhetoric that is xenophobic and there's an element of discrimination and or I guess um, bias that's held in our communities it becomes belief that sees people like Yagmin Singh and a and a um, like buys into the white supremacist rhetoric that somehow we are not liberating ourselves if we do not liberate other people who experience oppression from the same structures that oppress us. Mm -hmm. Is that too academic? That seems really... No, but like, not at all. But not like, at all. you know, newcomers and um, you yeah, know, other brown people, racialized yeah. people, black people, indigenous people, all of our liberation is tied to one another. And I, you know, well, we're not going to get it from a political yeah. party, but. but like creating space and you know supporting and identifying the racism that Yagmin Singh is experiencing is really important. Yeah. And um, there's been a lot of you see it creeping in, especially with like um, one of the reporters from APTN today talked about um, you know uh, child welfare discrimination isn't the same as blackface and kind of use blackface and Trudeau's blackface to leverage against and compare to the experiences of racism or and discrimination that indigenous first nation children face and that's not a useful thing to engage in and not useful ideas or, or points to make because black people are oppressed by the same things like they also experience child welfare discrimination yeah, yeah. um there are black indigenous people and other you know racialized indigenous people that were hurt and harmed by trudeau uh, engaging in blackface and engaging in orientalism like that is really you know we really need to think about how we relate to one another and other um, marginalized groups and how we can reinforce and work together with them instead of embodying racist white supremacy into our own discourse mm -hmm. and upholding the oppression of other people. Definitely, definitely. Talk about di division. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what's remarkable for the amount, for the degree to which race has been a part of this campaign, how little time and space the parties, any of the parties have committed to addressing racism or uh, commitments to black communities in Canada, like zero. And I think zero. And how is that possible when you have this this incredible scandal of the prime minister wearing blackface so often he can't even remember how often he does it. And then for the liberals to apologize and Trudeau to apologize and then not make any meaningful commitment to address racism that's astounding yeah specifically like specifically the like astounding amount of anti-black racism the subsequent racism that many black and other you know racialized people faced in having to unpack and digest and process that for the media 
and then also like the idea that some you know the thing that Yagni Singh experienced today with the person saying that he should like shave his beard and take off his um, turban and them having like what was deemed like a civil discourse or like a polite discourse about it and you know Justin Trudeau's racism embodied in blackface not being seen as physically violent is that there's a real tolerance for benevolent racism or not directly physically harmful racism yes. without the dissection of the fact that these feed into the same ideas they reinforce the same structures and still cause harm to racialized people the fact that maxime bernier has this platform and is going to participate in the debates and is advocating an overtly racist uh platform with very few critiques from the other parties i think speaks volumes as well if 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 i were one of the other leaders and i was invited to share a stage with this guy i mean would you not reject that would you not you know use that as an opportunity to say that this is not an acceptable level of discourse but again we're 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 dreaming here ultimately yeah. because we're we're projecting our 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 values onto mm -hmm. settler politicians that don't actually share those values and i guess we just need to come to terms with that yeah um it all down yes, yes 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 so um i think it's very funny that both of us like don't necessarily vote for elections we just know so much and <laughs> yell about well, it so much I, this is, you know this affects our <laughs> communities one way yeah. or the other it's uh yes mm -hmm. so those are the three sort of major not sort of but those are the main mm -hmm. main uh party platforms uh i think it's clear that we both think that the new democrats have the most compelling commitments and discourse so i know how i feel about this but i would like to hear your thoughts on it is how would you rate the green party's platform in relation to the ndp and which party do you think is more on the left oh on the left um well i think that the green party platform is actually pretty substantive it's you know it's interesting because their previous platform was so bad on indigenous issues like it was so so bad it was talking about how we need to honor the 1990 sparrow decision like such a, a lack of awareness at how far even case law has come um so this platform is definitely an improvement on that i think it's quite substantive it, it mentions a lot of the same issues that the new democrats do and i think what the green party really just did was take some of the assembly of first nations election priorities and integrated that and you know there's some interesting things around treaties and the declaration on the rights of indigenous people and food security uh, and housing um, and you know bringing indigenous people into federalist governing which none of the other parties do um but i i just I, i i think that the green party is more of an issue-based party than a political ideology party i mean it's clear that their focus is on climate um i think elizabeth may is trying this election to broaden that there's commitments to transform post-secondary education um but uh i think that i think that there's you know there's the, the, i think the green party has always had this element of of conservatism uh in their in their in their in their i guess i guess their approach mm -hmm. um 
who is more on the left? I think that the New Democrats are probably more genuinely on the left than the Green Party. I think that the Green Party is is sort of left by default. It's like they know where that that's where they're going to get their support because it's just predominantly the case that people on the left support climate action, um, and so they cater to that uh, cater to that demographic. That's what I would say. I don't know if that's a that's the answer you were looking for. No, I just think I think that's an interesting discussion and like unpacking of it. Yeah, I guess if people are faced with this choice of New Democrat versus Green, who is more likely to get your vote, kind of thing. Like, yeah. I mean, if climate's your number one issue, and personally for me, climate should be the only issue, um, and it's sort of ancillary consequences and how Indigenous policy fits into that and education of course but you know I, I, I wouldn't be dis I wouldn't be unhappy if I did see a strong green showing because it would demonstrate that Canadians are finally waking up and realizing shit needs to change should we okay so I would like a segue you want to segue you want, you're done talking a, about the green party no I'm going to use the green party segue so one of the interesting things is I don't know if you follow certain academics to talk about people who might misrepresent their indigenous identity but one of the interesting things that um has happened with the green party is that a number of their identified indigenous candidates have suspect ancestry oh. and so they are members of um metis organizations eastern metis organizations acadian metis organizations that have been called out by academics as having questionable indigenous ancestry. Um, I think it might be as many as three of the six indigenous mm. identified green candidates versus the 14 indigenous candidates of the NDP. And I would say that there are more NDP candidates that I recognize as being engaged in indigenous discourse and community right. over their careers right, right, right. versus the people that are indigenous identified in the Green Party. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think that the Green Party has the strongest Indigenous policy department, if you, if you will. So it's not surprising to me that their vetting process is also very weak. Uh, it also might be a consequence of the Green Party just scrambling to get candidates and they'll take anybody and not really care about how they identify. But that's a huge strike against the Green Party, if that's true. And maybe what we should do is have a part two of this discussion where we look at some of the indigenous candidates because I think there's actually a lot. You mentioned the 14 for the New Democrats. I think yeah. the Liberals have at least that many. Yep, they have 14 as well. They would um, have 15 if they still had Jody Rose and Wade Bolt. Oh, well, well. We should mm -hmm. do a part two. Let's do a part yeah. two and talk about the specific indigenous candidates and investigate this Green Party, uh, well, yeah, this Green Party pretendian mm -hmm. situation. Um, but we're almost at the end of the road here today, and mm -hmm. we didn't talk about the Bloc or the People's Party of Canada. The PP um, Party. The PP Party. The Bloc, like I said at the beginning of this episode, is likely to gain a few seats back. Uh, mm -hmm. And their platform is Did they available. lose official party status last election? Well, I think they have like eight seats and you need 12 to be official, yeah. 12 or 13 to be official party status. That's a good question. We should look into that. But, uh, the, you know, they they say that we should 
implement the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, and obviously their platform is specific to Quebec, so uh, there's a lot of commitments to maintaining um, current agreements, and um, yeah, I guess not a lot that's new or unique, I guess, in the block platform, which again is maybe not surprising. But, you know, there's a commitment to the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, which is, I guess, more than the Liberals could say. And then, do you got anything just, to say about the block? The block? No, I just think it's worth noting to acknowledge the work of Romeo Saganash and, yeah. and normalizing the policy around implementing UNDRIP. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And really creating an incentive. You know, people will say, like, oh, it didn't get implemented. But that work has you know really raised made people pay attention to it and think critically about how that might be implemented and made practical true. in canada true so i think that's really interesting that it made it that was it made such an impact that it entered into other parties platforms yeah i i think it definitely legitimized the declaration for those that were like this is scary and is going to undo canada which was what canada's position was in 2007 and really still today actually mm -hmm. the liberal party position anyway um, and conservative, for that matter. But, you know, I, this is for another discussion, but I I appreciated the effort and the discourse from Romeo Saganosh as well. I, I do think that the bill was not the strongest. No. But, uh, but nonetheless, I hear what you're saying, and it's... It, I'm trying to think Parliament like, will definitely not yeah. be the same with Romeo. It was the, he was the star of, of Indigenous and, parliamentary politics. And opposition bills, legislation, rarely pass. It's very uncommon, right, for... It's true. Private yeah. members' bills private and members. opposition... Uh, private members' bills rarely pass, especially if they originate from not to the governing party. Um, so then there's the People's Party of Canada mm. and, um, you know, fuck these guys. But, the racist uh, white supremacist party? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really matter what they say, I don't think. Because well, they're so awful that whatever commitments they make to indigenous people, which is surprisingly moderate in their platform, uh, is meaningless to me and also straight? you. I Am I turning? No, nope, go straight. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the commitments are meaningless. I really hope that if we're talking about Maxime Bernier, I think that we also should talk about the other Maxime Bernier of the Rhinoceros Party, who's running in the same riding, which is... Probably, you know, Chef Kiss, one of the best political moves that's ever happened in Canadian political history. Um, besides Romeo if, he wins. if, he, if wins. he wins. Oh my god, I hope the Rhinoceros Party, Maxine Bernier wins. That would be amazing. Um, if you're in that writing and you're Indigenous, please in you vote. Please vote for the Rhinoceros Party, Maxine Bernier. For all our... I don't even know what writing that is. Yeah. For all our listeners and... yeah. I think that's our only endorsed candidate at this point, <laughs> is the other Maxine Bernier. Well, let's do a part two. Let's do a part two and maybe endorse some candidates. Cool. All right. Well, that was uh, part one of our, I don't know, election. The settlers are unsettled. <laughs> Trying to unsettle the settlers. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, thanks for the lift. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs>